jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. The Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net. This is Anuja Jaswal, your host of the Manhattan Millennial Book Review here on jasoncharles.net arts and culture shows. On this episode, I will be reviewing The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn was originally published in 1884 and is considered a cornerstone of classic American literature. It has enjoyed both acclaim and criticism since its release. The word racism and this work in particular have a very long history. Some argue that Twain's use of certain language and the runaway slave character are discriminatory whilst others say that the tenor of this book is inherently an anti-racist one. I lean towards the latter camp, but let me precurse this review by saying that I did not grow up in the United States. And more importantly, although I am a person of color, I'm not black. So I accept the limitations of my opinion on that particular issue. I first read this book during sixth form, eventually using it in my A-level coursework and reread it again a few weeks ago. Suffice it to say, I have a lot to talk about. I think one of the most important details about this novel is that it was released in 1884, when slavery was ostensibly abolished, but it was set in Southern antebellum society that had essentially ceased to exist at the end of the Civil War over 20 years prior. And given the rise of Jim Crow laws from 1870 onwards, it's clear that this tale of young boy befriending a runaway slave and deciding to free him exists in a very specific historical moment steeped in dramatic irony and satire. Mark Twain chooses to tell this story through the eyes of a 13 or 14 year old boy who has been raised mostly by no one, but then was taken in by Widow Douglas and spends a lot of his time with her frequently proselytizing sister, Miss Watson. This is crucial, partly because Huck's youth allows Twain to satirize his society more effectively, What some would dismiss as childlike naivete actually makes him seem more clear-eyed than most of the adults in this novel. But mostly because we see Huck struggle with all these learned beliefs when he ends up with Jim, a runaway slave, as his closest companion. To us, and indeed to readers at the time, it seems like a really easy situation with no moral conflict. Of course you helped Jim. Why would you ever feel bad about that? But for Huck, who's been raised to think that helping Jim escape slavery is a sin that would display ingratitude and wickedness, it isn't that simple. And so, even though there are countless moments from this book that I would love to discuss at length, from The King and the Duke, to the utterly pointless generations-long family feud, to the absolute insanity of Tom Sawyer's schemes, I want to focus on the scenes that touch me the most during both my readings, which mostly concern Huck's friendship with Jim. Huck has a chance to turn Jim in when they first dock. I begun to get it through my head that he was most free and who was to blame for it? Why me? I couldn't get that out of my conscience, no how nor no way. It got to troubling me so I couldn't rest. I couldn't stay still in one place. It hadn't ever come home to me before what this thing was that I was doing, but now it did and it stayed with me and scorched me more and more. My conscience got to stirring me up hotter than ever. So this is the classic, maybe the curtains were just blue thing, but Twain's metaphors of heat are striking here. He describes Huck's conscience as stirring him up hotter than ever and scorching. 
Perhaps he's just describing how intense guilt would feel in this situation, but given Huck's deep-seated fear of hell, it's noticeable that the thing driving him to turn Jim in makes him feel like he's burning. As though, maybe, the real sin isn't what he thinks it is. Huck exits the raft, ready to get Jim arrested, and Jim tells him that he won't ever forget Huck. He's the best friend he's ever had and is the only friend Jim has now. He goes on to say that Huck is the only white gentleman that ever kept his promise to Jim. In Huck's words, this seemed to take all the tuck out of his determination. And a little later, when men ask if his companion is white or black, he can't find the words. I tried to, but the words wouldn't come. I tried for a second or two to brace up and out with it, but I wasn't mad enough, hadn't the spunk of a rabbit. Huck dismisses his hesitation as cowardice and, hilariously, leads the men away from the raft by acting just suspicious enough for them to think his friend has smallpox. Mark Twain famously said that, quote, in religion and politics, people's beliefs and convictions are in almost every case gotten at second hand and without examination, end quote, which is exactly where Huck got his beliefs from. One thing I think he does really well is using the tropes associated with religious experiences in literature, compulsion, hardening of the heart, the inability to say or do certain things. By having Huck experience these things when he's trying to do what he believes is the wicked or sinful thing, Twain makes a point about how religion enforced the inherently political and abhorrent system of slavery. One of my favorite moments in the novel is when Huck finds out that Jim's been sold and thinks he should write and let Miss Watson know that her runaway slave has been found. But he doesn't want to do this. And realizing that causes another moral conflict, wherein he tries to sit down and pray, but the words won't come. So he writes a note informing Miss Watson of Jim's location and thinks that will help him pray. And even though for a moment he does feel, quote, good and all washed clean of sin, end quote, all he can think about is Jim. Quote, I see Jim before me all the time, in the day and in the nighttime, sometimes moonlight, sometimes storms. And we are floating along, talking and singing and laughing. But somehow I couldn't seem to strike no places to harden me against him, but only the other kind. He recalls various shared moments and ends with the following. Quote, At last I struck the time I saved him. And he was so grateful and said, I was the best friend old Jim ever had in the world and the only one he's got now. And then I happened to look around and see that paper, end quote. I studied a minute, sort of holding my breath and then says to myself, all right, then I'll go to hell and tore it up. I don't remember who originally said this. I wish it was me. But someone described that last line, all right, then I'll go to hell as the only real prayer in literature which is important because they're the first words Huck speaks after sitting down to pray. It isn't coincidence that Huck is flooded with love for Jim the minute he tries to pray. I think it's a really beautiful scene because Twain at once dismisses the use of religion to justify social evils, but also simultaneously he's saying, okay, let's be clear. If God does exist, then this is what he's showing to Huck in this moment. I have so much more to say about this novel but I'll leave it there for now. As I said earlier, I was 18 when I first read this and picking it up again over five years later, I was convinced that it would be a wholly different reading experience. I'm much more attuned to racial justice now and I have more context in the specific time Mark Twain depicts. I've actually lived in America at this point, but the odd thing was that it wasn't all that different. 
I laughed more the second time around, but that likely has to do with the contrast between reading for school and reading for fun. When I first read this, I thought it was a groundbreaking piece of literature that shrewdly criticized the society of its time. Whilst I'm more careful about such grand claims now, I still feel the power and poignancy in Twain's portrayal of his characters, so the scenes that stayed with me haven't really changed. As I said at the beginning, this book's reputation has fluctuated greatly. I think it's looked at in the same way as books like To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee are looked at now, where in the time and in several decades following, they were seen as highly influential and change-making pieces of literature. And now we think that we should reassess that legacy more. I am all for reassessing the legacy of the canon. I do think, however, that it's important to read books before forming opinions on them. For me, the core of this novel remains Huck's relationship with Jim. And I think at the center, Twain is just telling a story about how you can teach people all this wickedness and you can fill their heads with all these discriminatory thoughts. But at the end of the day, the kindness and companionship that Jim showed to Huck was enough to erase all of that indoctrination. And that to me is a message that we should still be espousing. On the next episode, I will be reviewing Severance by Ling Ma. In short, it's about a woman reflecting on her office job and what meaning is left in the world when a global pandemic hits. It came out in 2018, so I'm curious to see how prescient it was. Until next time, this is a new Digest Wall. Feel free to send me your comments, questions, and suggestions on Instagram at ajswall1997. Stay safe. You've been listening to the Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Anuja Jaswal, check out her Instagram at anujajaswal1997, spelled A-N-U-J-A-J-A-I-S-W-A-L-1997. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.